Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. You guys want to know what this series is about, don't you? <laughs> you have to wait a few seconds. <clears throat> Can I, I'm going to brag about you all for a second. So last week was our first public Easter service ever. Collective is a church plant. We're about seven months old. And to be honest, going into it, we didn't really know what to expect, right? Like we we're trying to figure out how many people are going to show up. What are we going to do? What is this going to look like? And so at Collective, people ask us all the time, like, what is going on at Collective? And right now we average about 185 people. Which, to be honest, and I know church planning context, you guys are like, whatever, that seems normal. But in the church planning world, that is not normal. This church is very not normal. It is bigger than most church plants. Uh, to be seven months old and to be averaging that high of a number is kind of bizarre. So when we're going into Easter, we thought, okay, that plus some, right? Like, there's not really mathematics. Churches aren't good at math, guys. Like, that's just, to be honest. So we didn't know what to expect. But last week at Easter, our first Easter service ever, there were 336 people here. And that's, that's just beyond what we expected, what we assumed would happen. Um, but to even take it a step further, we had over 60 people who served in Connections, which is lobby and parking lot. We had over, over 60 people total that served in Connections, kids and production. Um, to be honest, you all were crazy generous too. It was the highest offering we've ever had as a church. And they finished the day by celebrating six baptisms. And so that was an amazing Sunday. To be honest, guys, like that's a dream come true for us. You know, I joked with our team later, like, I don't know, can it get better than that? You know, like this last Sunday was our best Sunday ever. And so I just wanted to share that with you all because for those of you who are here, especially if you had like the long walk in, you're like, what is going on at this church right now? What's really cool is you all, you invited and you brought and you felt like this was a safe place to celebrate Easter. And so we wanted to share that with you and also say thank you. And one thing that we've learned over the last few months is that in order to have the best church experience possible, the best parking experience, kids experience, and worship experience, our max for one service is around 225 people. And so we want you all to know that if we start to hit that number regularly, that's when we're going to discuss going to a second service. I know for some of you today, you had to park in, like, in the far parking lot, right? And you're like, do I have to do this every single Sunday? And we want you to know that we recognize that that's not the best experience that you could have here. And if that becomes the normal then we're going to talk about hosting two services on Sunday. And so that's our goal. And that could be this year or next or the year after that. But no matter what, we wanted you guys to know that we are thinking and praying about what's next for Collective. And if you all keep inviting and keep bringing the way that you have, it's going to happen or happened, happen. And I know I'm biased, but I think this church is awesome. And I'm very thankful to be a part of it. I'm just thankful for you all for being here and celebrating uh, Easter, but also being a church with us. When you came in today, uh, there was a rock on your seat, and I want you guys to grab it right now. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab that rock in one hand or two hands. I want you to squeeze it as hard as you can while I share this story. So Jamel McGee grew up in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Benton Harbor is a small town that is very poor and completely overrun by drugs. One day, Jamel was hanging out with some friends when he got a call that his ex-girlfriend was going to bring his three-month-old son over so he could meet him for the first time. He and his girlfriend had a falling out while she was pregnant, but she wanted Jamel to be a part of his son's life, so they were going to meet up. Jamel tells this story as if this was the biggest moment of his life. 
And so he got a ride to the convenience store to get diapers and snacks. And after paying for them, he was walking out. And as soon as the door closed behind him, a cop approached him and asked, where is the dope? And Jamel said, I don't know what you're talking about. But before he could say anything else, the cop had him in handcuffs and was arresting him for being a drug dealer. Now, there are three things you got to know about Jamel and his story. First is that his parents were drug addicts and he had watched addiction destroy their lives. So he never touched drugs, let alone dealt them. The second thing is the person he had hitched a ride with had actually set up a drug deal that day. And when the cop came out, he ran. And later you find out the guy that was with Jamel was actually wanted by the FBI. The third thing is this. The cop who arrested Jamel was a man named Andrew Collins, and he was a crooked cop. As a child, Andrew Collins grew up wanting, or grew up wanting to make a difference in his community by being a police officer. He had idolized police officers and was a dream come true the day he got a job on the police force. When he had made his first drug bust, he got a high off the attention. He started to get promoted, which came with more praise. And eventually he got addicted to his ego. His pride became his idol. And so he forgot about doing things the right way and did everything he could to advance his own career to get the attention that he craved. He began falsifying reports, lying under oath, and even planting evidence if it got a drug bust and another so-called drug dealer off the streets. So when he approached Jamel McGee, he was convinced that Jamel was a drug dealer, so he arrested him. A few days later, the FBI actually contacted Andrew Collins to tell him Jamel wasn't the guy. He wasn't the right one. The person was in the car, but he's the guy that left. But Collins thought that Jamel was probably a drug dealer anyway, so he planted the evidence and falsified the reports to back up his arrest. Jamel McGee never got to see his son that day. Eventually, it went to trial, and Collins lied under oath, knowing full well that McGee was an innocent man, but it didn't matter. Jamel was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in prison because of something that he never did. And in that moment, his life was taken away. In prison, Jamel's anger turned to rage and aggression. As a kid, he learned to box, so anytime he was picked on in prison, he would just unload on them, imagining it was Andrew Collins the entire time. And while in prison, Jamel McGee's sole goal in life became serving his time so that he could get out of prison and then find and kill Andrew Collins. All right, you can stop squeezing the rock now and relax. Now, that feeling you get when you relax is the freedom some of you are going to experience in this series. Because I believe that most of you, if not all of you, walked into school today dragging some chains. These are chains from your past or chains from your presence, chains that you put there, chains that somebody else put there. But you can't live the life that God wants you to live until you are free from those chains. Jesus says if we come to him, we can live freely and lightly. And the goal of this series is to move closer to that. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to tell you how you can get free by dropping the F-bomb in your own life. Now, F-bomb isn't the four-letter word that you want to shout at the top of your lungs while you're driving home from work. What we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks is forgiveness. Because when you forgive someone, the ramifications are drastic. You will not just have a peace come over your whole body, but you'll feel it in your soul. Because some of you are walking around today and you are physically, emotionally, and spiritually tense. You're holding on to bitterness and a grudge and pain that you won't let go. Now, there's two qualifiers with this series. The first is that it is three weeks, and each week builds on the last. And so my challenge to you is to be here all three weeks. And if by chance you can't make it physically here, you can find our podcast, you can find our video on YouTube, but ultimately, if you miss one, it's not all going to make sense. So I need you here, or at least to experience the sermons all three weeks, and I promise you, 
It'll be worth it. The second qualifier is this. I don't know your pain. And I know that I don't know your pain. I haven't experienced the tragedies that you have, and I don't know the hurts that you have. And so if this was just Michael getting up here to share his opinion, then I think you could write it off. But I'm not going to tell you to forgive. I'm just going to tell you what God says about forgiveness. I'm going to show you what forgiveness looks like, and then you have to figure out what you do with that. The promise that I can make is that if you listen with an open heart for these three Sundays, if you open yourself up to the possibility that God's way is better, then the series will set you free and it will change your life forever. Romans 12, 17 says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Everything in this series hinges on the fact that there is evil in our world, that our world is broken, and that people can cause pain and hurt in your own lives. Now, sometimes we blame ourselves for evil, right? We say, if I were more cooperative, my parents wouldn't be divorced. If I was a better wife, my husband wouldn't have treated me that way. If I were more careful, that person wouldn't have sexually assaulted me. But Deuteronomy 24 says that children would not be put to death for the sins of their parents or vice versa. And what this means is that we are each held responsible for the evil that we cause. And so in order for this series to make sense, we have to own that. We have to acknowledge that, that evil exists and that people can use evil to hurt us. And the question from there is, how do we respond when someone hurts us? Do we try to ignore it? Do we get mad? Do we harbor resentment? Do we create a plan to get even? Jesus teaches us that we respond with forgiveness. So my goal in this series is that for the evil you've experienced or the evil that you're experiencing now or the evil that you will experience someday in the future, you will choose to forgive and you will choose to drop the F-bomb. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness literally means to release. It means to let go. And this is actually originally a financial term. You actually, the forgiveness was brought into kind of the financial world. And the idea was to release people from a debt. And so we are called to forgive people just as Jesus has forgiven us, to release people the same way that Jesus has released the debt in our own lives that our sin creates. And this isn't kind of a passive suggestion, right? This isn't the only time we're taught to do this. Jesus actually says in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And Jesus is teaching his followers that you need to forgive. And when we do that, we experience the free and light life that he wants to give us. We experience forgiveness as well. But before we go into the application of what Jesus said, there's, I, I feel the need to break this verse down. Because to be honest, this verse is one that's hard to wrap your heads around, right? Because it says, you forgive so that you can be forgiven. When people read these verses, they often ask, does this mean if I don't forgive, I'm just out, right? Like I've placed my trust in Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but if I don't forgive someone, I'm out of his good graces, I'm no longer able to have a relationship with him. But to be honest, I'm conflicted by this, so I did some research, and there are three schools of thought when it comes to these verses, some people will say the answer is yes, that if you don't forgive, you are out of God's grace, that it doesn't matter if you have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter if you've been baptized. If you don't forgive, you lose the grace that you once received. Now, some people will say no, but there are strings attached. And what they'll say is your ability to forgive is just a reflection of whether you even had a relationship with Jesus in the first place. 
Like forgiveness is some sort of litmus test for whether or not your relationship with Jesus is real. So if you refuse to forgive someone, it shows that you were never really redeemed in the first place. You were never really good. You're never really brought into that relationship. But to be honest, that seems really cheap to me, right? That seems very much like a if this, then that. Like God is waiting for us to do something so he can offer us grace. It doesn't really work that way. Now, some people still say no, that you can't lose your salvation and good standing with God, but you can lose the type of relationship that you want. It's as if your child does something wrong to you. You don't change his last name and kick him out of the family. But until they repent, until they seek out forgiveness, you won't have the relationship that you once had. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't. And if you ask me what my opinion was on it, I don't really have one. The one thing that does stick out to me is that if you're asking the question, it's probably a dangerous place that you're in. Because if you're asking about the consequences of not choosing forgiveness, and you're asking, do I have to do this? Then the question I would ask you is, do you want Jesus to be the leader of your life? Or you just want to do what you want and hope that heaven gets thrown in? In studying this passage, people will bend over backward to tell you their thoughts, and they are very stubborn about it. Shocking, right? But I think they're missing the point. They're too busy focusing on the consequence of choosing not to forgive because they're trying to make sure they are safe. Right? They're too busy focusing, what's the result if I don't do this? Because I want to make sure I'm still in good graces. But the imperative here and what Jesus is teaching is about forgiveness. And Jesus is saying it's not an option to forgive as if your forgiveness depends on it. Forgiveness is the default setting for someone who follows Jesus. It's the default setting. One preacher said it this way, forgiveness isn't the app, it's the operating system. It isn't something that you add on to the Christian lifestyle that's a nice little feature. It's the basic operating system for somebody who says, I am a follower of Jesus. And so we don't go around offering what Chuck Swindoll calls qualified forgiveness, which is forgiveness that's superficial, right? We don't offer forgiveness. We don't say, I will forgive you if you show remorse. I will forgive you when I am able. I'll forgive you, but stay out of my life. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is releasing someone by dropping the F-bomb. Now I realize some of you are already starting to kind of feel tense and put up that wall, and I get that. And you're thinking, over the next three weeks, are you going to tell me that I have to forgive the woman who wrecked my home? I have to forgive the person who slandered me and cost me my career. I have to forgive the dad who left me or the dad who we would have been better off without. And I know you're thinking, just because I'm on stage, I have a microphone, that I get to say whatever I want. Well, I wouldn't dare to presume the depth of your pain. My prayer for this series is incredibly simple. It's helped me, God, to not be cliche. So what you won't hear me say is just forgive and all your troubles will go away because that's just not real. You won't hear me say that this is easy because it's not. But I will tell you this goes against everything we feel. This goes against everything that we want to do. This goes against every desire that we have because we want to get even and we don't want to forgive. When I was in college, there was a guy named Trevor who spent the majority of his freshman year tormenting me and my roommates. For some reason, he decided that he was going to just continue to pull pranks on us without ceasing. The first time, he decided to crush up crackers and hide them under our covers, which is like the lamest prank ever. But as soon as I got out of the shower and hopped into bed, it was pretty disgusting. <laughs> the second time, he figured out how to find my printer on the network and for multiple hours just sent me full-color prints while I was in class to use up all my ink. He put pepper juice on our toilet seats. He messed with our computers. It was nonstop. 
And it started to get to the point where I'd walk into my dorm and I would actually check every corner and every crevice to try and figure out, is he in here? Like, what did he do today? What's messed up? I wouldn't touch things without wiping them off. I wouldn't turn off my lights without checking my bed. And that became how I functioned on a day-to-day basis. Eventually, me and my roommate, we got so fed up that we decided to retaliate. Playing on Trevor's ego, we challenged him to a competition. We, we challenged him to see who could last the longest with shaving gel on their forehead. Only he didn't have shaving gel. He had nair. So for seven minutes, Trevor walked around the dorm talking trash about how tough he was while he nared his own eyebrows off. <laughs> There's a video on YouTube. It's not good. And to be honest, like for a while, this was one of my proudest moments, especially because we felt like he deserved it. And the thing is, we like that. Like some of you don't like that, but most of you do like that. Because the reality is we want to get even. But the truth is, Jesus makes two outstanding claims. He says, on the one hand, he wants to give us life and life to the full. And on the other hand, he says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. And we say, and we respond back to Jesus, we say, hey, hold on, wait a second. I'm not sure these things go together. I'm not sure I can have the best life possible while also forgiving that person who hurt me. But maybe they do go together. Maybe the life to the fullest that Jesus offers and forgiveness are connected. And so I want to point out a couple things about forgiveness. And I know that some of you are just in a place where you burn. You burn with anger over the person that hurt you. You burn with regret over what was taken from you. And so I just want to challenge you to listen and open your ears and open your heart to what the Bible teaches about forgiveness. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32 says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, just as in Christ God forgave you. The writer of this, Paul, tells us and teaches us that forgiveness is an action, not a feeling. When someone hurts us, they hurt us emotionally. We feel it emotionally. We feel it deep down in our soul. But we're told to get rid of those feelings, to get rid of anger, to get rid of rage. And Paul actually tells us, instead of feeling that way, take action. He tells us, be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving. I read an author that pointed out that her feelings were actually hindering her relationship with her husband. Here's what she wrote. She said, we must learn to manage our emotions. We must learn to do what is right even when we don't feel like doing it. I've learned by experience that even if I'm angry with my husband, I can still talk to him and treat him nicely while I'm working with God on the process of forgiving him. That discovery was a great find for me because I wasted a lot of years being angry for days and shutting him out of my life until my feelings were no longer hurt. I never knew how long that would take. Sometimes it was swift if my husband apologized quickly. But when he didn't apologize because he didn't think or realize he had done something wrong, it would take days and maybe weeks. Finally, when I'd received my apology and felt better and then decided to treat him better, I realized that I put my feelings in control instead of me, and that is not God's will for us. Forgiveness is an action, not a feeling. When Jesus says to love your enemy, he doesn't mean have warm, tingly, fuzzy feelings towards the people that you don't like. What he is teaching us to do is act in a way as if we had respect and care for those people. Love is primarily an action, not an emotion. And this is why some of you are about a week away from seeing a divorce lawyer. You think your marriage is falling apart because you are waiting for a feeling. But if you would just do the actions as if you love that person, the feelings would follow. But instead, in our lives, we choose inaction, and we move our feelings toward hate and resentment and bitterness, and we let our emotions rule our life. 
And so how do we forgive? How do we take action? There are two helpful actions that we take. The first is that forgiveness is releasing my right to retaliate. Look again at Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, the judicial system before Jesus was based off of Hammurabi's code. It was an eye for an eye, a cheek for a cheek, a tooth for a tooth. From a judicial perspective, this was how punishments were handed out. So if you murdered someone, you got the death penalty. But Jesus came along and said, do something different. He said this, he said, you've heard, it, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. You do have the right to retaliate. But Jesus says you go beyond that. You forgive. This is why Philip Yancey calls forgiveness the unnatural act, because it just doesn't make sense. In 2013, Nelson Mandela died leaving behind a legacy of forgiveness. Mandela lived in South Africa where he, just like the majority of the black population, was a victim of apartheid, the political system of segregation and discrimination based on race. And so the whites in South Africa had ex exclusive control, and Mandela actually spoke out against it. And because of that, he was put in prison. And so Mandela was in prison for 37 years where he rotted away from brutal working conditions. In fact, I've heard that when he was released from prison, that his eyes no longer worked properly because of the dust from the rock quarries where he was first forced to work. This was Mandela's life for 27 years until he was released in 1990. When he got out of prison, the systematic discrimination still existed, so he decided to do something about it. And in 1994, he was elected president. And when he stood on stage to be inaugurated, he made sure that his prison warden was on stage with him. Mandela ended up leading the reconciliation with the white government, the very government that left him in prison for 27 years. When Bill Clinton had met Nelson Mandela, he asked him, how did you do that? How did you forgive? And Mandela replied, those people controlled me for 27 years. When I got out of jail, I didn't want them to keep controlling my life. I wanted to release the venom that built up over years while I was in jail. So forgiveness is releasing my right to retaliate. The next thing is forgiveness is releasing your hope for a better past. A lot of forgiveness stems from thinking of what could have been or what should have been. We say, that was my childhood. That was my job. Those were my teenage years. That was my virginity. That was my retirement fund. But part of forgiveness is accepting that this is what happened and that we can't change that. So I'm going to release my hope for a better past. There's a well-known phrase, holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. To be honest, most of the time, they've moved on. And I hate to say that. I hate that that's true. But the people that have hurt you have moved on. They've moved on with their life. They've moved on with their relationships. They've moved on with their goals. And when you don't forgive, you're stuck in a prison of your past. Holding on to unforgiveness hurts you more than it hurts the other person. There's actually a scientific study to back this up. An article in the New York Times declared that researchers have gathered a wealth of data that chronic anger is so damaging to the body that it ranks with and even exceeds cigarette smoking, obesity, and a high-fat diet as a powerful risk factor for early death. A study at the University of Michigan proved the same thing. A group of women were tested to see which of them were holding on to long-term grudges. Then for the next 18 years, they followed up with these women and caught up with these women, and researchers were shocked at the result. The women with the suppressed anger were three times more likely to have died during the study than the women who didn't have that kind of bitterness. 
Paul Bose once said, forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Now, in this and in forgiveness, you have to use wisdom. And you have to figure out what does forgiveness look like in your own life because it's not one size fits all. And so you might ask, does it mean that you have contact with the other person? How do I forgive and still have boundaries? Does this mean I forgive and forget? And those are all really good questions that we're going to answer in the next two weeks. But here's the thing we're going to finish on today. The main benefit of forgiveness is that forgiveness is the portal to the power of Jesus. This is the path to the best life possible. Jesus shows there's a better way to live. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're skeptical or you're an atheist or you're doubtful, I would still encourage you to forgive by releasing that pain and releasing that bitterness and releasing that anger. Because whether or not you believe in Jesus or not, it will lead to a better life. But in order to fully forgive, in order to fully get it and to fully take that step, you have to recognize that you yourself can be forgiven. That Jesus died a brutal death on a cross to pay the debt that our sins creates. Only when you understand that can you truly forgive and understand what it means to live freely and lightly. Three years later, Jamel McGee was put in jail. Andrew Collins, lying and cheating, caught up to him. One morning, he walked into a precinct's office, and the chief took his badge and his gun and placed him under arrest. He was later found guilty and convicted to three years in prison, and Jamel was released a few weeks later. For the next 18 months, Andrew was stuck in a cell contemplating his own life. When he was finally released, he was at rock bottom. He lost his career. He had hurt other people. Everything he had worked hard to accomplish, he had thrown away. It was in that moment when his wife asked him to go to church with her. And he was skeptical, like most of us are, but he figured he had nothing to lose. Over the next few months, he learned about grace and forgiveness, things he never thought that he would receive. And Andrew Collins was later baptized, dedicating his life to Jesus, and Jesus released him of the debt that his sin created. Andrew ended up getting a job working for a nonprofit that the church started. He decided that he had failed once, but he really wanted to make a difference in his community, so he really wanted to have a second chance. And so he gave everything he could to making his city a better place and doing it the right way. A few months into this job, he was interviewing people for a mentorship program when Jamel McGee walked in through the door. And Jamel did not kill Andrew Collins. He did not hurt Andrew Collins. They had a short conversation, and then Jamel left. As soon as Jamel left, Andrew broke down, weeping like a baby, and a coworker ran up to him and asked, what did he say to you? And Andrew uttered these three words, he forgave me. You see, while Jamel was in prison, he also hit rock bottom. During another fight, a fight where he was imagining beating the crap out of and killing Andrew Collins, he was pulled off of this man before he could do major damage. And as he was escorted back to his cell, he realized that he was quickly becoming the criminal he swore that he wasn't. As he sat in his room trying to figure out what to do, he noticed a dusty Bible that had been in his prison cell for a few years that his grandma gave him. He picked it up, and he'll tell you that he doesn't remember where he started reading, but he said it was like God spoke to him and his soul. He heard God telling him that he needed to let it go. And Jamel kept telling God, I can't let it go. I have to deal with this. And God said, Jamel, I'll deal with it. You have to let it go. And so Jamel did. He decided in that moment that if he ever saw Andrew again, he would forgive him. Now, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're bitter about. I don't know what they did. But I know that freedom is found in forgiveness. 
And it's not easy. In fact, people continue to ask Jamel to this day, how can you do that? They ended up writing a book about it. He's been on a press tour. And the first question everybody asks every single time is Andrew and Jamel sit right next to each other is how does this happen? How do you get to this place? How do you get to a place where you can stand next to each other so you can sit next to each other, where you can be in community with each other and you can say that you've forgiven and you mean it? And every time Jamel responds by saying, I didn't, but God did. That's the only way. I want you to pick up those rocks again and squeeze them as hard as you can. This rock represents the burden you carry, the pain that you feel that someone else caused. And I know it's hard and I know it's challenging. I know we don't really want to, but it's the time to forgive, to release your right to retaliate, to release your hope for a better past, Because a better future and a better life and living life to the fullest and living freely and lightly is right in front of you. And Jesus said, forgive as I have forgiven you. Jesus said, in me you can live freely and lightly. Jesus said, don't take revenge, leave room for God's wrath. Jesus said, you overcome evil with good. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. He said, I would set you free where you really are free. So for this series and for today, the question is, will you believe him? Will you let him set you free? Will you drop the F-bomb and forgive those people in your life that don't deserve it? And frankly, they'll say that they don't need it. But it's for you. It's for you to release, for you to get rid of that pain and that burden and that bitterness and that brokenness that somebody else has caused so you can move forward and live the life that God has called you to live. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, um, to be honest, God, that you call us to be better people, that you call us to forgive even though it's not normal. It goes against how we feel. It goes against the anger that we have. God, that you teach us that forgiveness isn't just something that we passively do, but it's an action that we take. God, I pray uh, this week that, that for all of us who are carrying around that bitterness, we're carrying around that pain, we're carrying around that brokenness that somebody else caused, and a lot of times they have no idea they even did it. God, I pray this week we can take a step toward forgiveness. God, we recognize it doesn't mean we have to have a relationship with those people. We don't have to know those people ever again. But God, we have to release ourselves from that burden. And God, we have confidence in our ability to do that because you did that. Because God, you will forgive every single one of us. You will release us from that debt that we create because of our sin. God, this isn't easy. God, it's not something that we want to do. But I pray this week is a week that we take a step toward forgiveness. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.